On this episode of Honey, You Should Watch This, we are going to be joined today by Joe and Amy from the One Movie Punch podcast. And we're going to be talking about One Cut of the Dead, and I am so excited. Honey, honey, calm down. I am calm. I'm deadly calm. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Welcome. This week we are going to have a brief chat, and then we are going to have our guests, Joe and Amy, from the One Movie Punch podcast on to discuss a pretty epic movie that they had us watch. But first of all, you wanted to do corrections department or something like that. No, I don't think I had any corrections department if I did. All right, first I, of all, we remember. wanted to talk about something <laughs> other than the corrections department. Well, I mean, we the one of the reasons that we watched... What we do in the shadows is so we could get to watching the TV series, yes. and we did some serious binge watching. We did. We actually season one. Like, took a whole Saturday, f- which we don't typically do. Yeah, yeah, and that was a. It's I, worth it. Yeah, I was it's li- definitely worth it. I was a little apprehensive, um, simply because sometimes when you take things and you Americanize them, they're drastically different from the thing that you loved. Um, but this is. I don't. I like that. They, I don't think they really Americanized it. I just think they put it in, in like an Amer- in American media. They didn't really yeah. change the way they acted or anything. No, was, no, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think that was good too. And I think it's you know because Jermaine Clement and and Taika Waititi um, produce it, and Taika Waititi, and actually uh, Jackie Vanderbeek also uh, did some directing on she that. The one that played episodes. Jackie in the yep. movie. So um, I, I think that they have. Um, Good continuity between you know what what you saw in the movie versus what you see in the TV show. Yes, um, little bit of a a similar but somewhat different tone just because it is a TV show. Um, but I liked it. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the new characters and had some good guest stars. Good, oh my god, losing my mind on the guest stars in that pretty, that pretty one good, episode. Yeah, pretty good stories. So. Yeah, it's uh, if you enjoyed the movie and you haven't seen the show, go ahead and watch the show. It's totally worth it. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I also am going to say right now that Joe and Amy had us watch a movie that um, we neither one of us had really heard that much. I had never heard of it. You'd heard you'd heard very little. Mm-hmm. If you guys have not seen this movie and you're interested in seeing this movie, you should stop this podcast and watch the movie. Yes, because you will be super happy that you watched it without any type of spoiler I- I- yeah. issues. This is you will hear me say later in this show this is a perfect po- this is a perfect movie. This movie's fantastic. But if you have spoilers in it, it's going to it won't ruin the movie, but it will take away a lot of your enjoyment from the first viewing. Yeah, I think the the what you'll feel when you watch it. My my only word of advice is is you really need to hang through the first thirty seven to forty minutes of yeah. it. Don't stop watching it. Don't stop, stop watching continue. it. Just continue Don't watching. Don't stop watching. Oh, oh no, you watching. Of course you believe. Jeez, we all believe in zombies. God. <laughs> <sighs> uh, also, if you have not seen Birds of Prey, go see it. Yes, it's a very I, good movie to like see in the that. theater. I did like Birds of Prey. Um, 
very, very apprehensive going on that one, too, simply just because of, you know, the way the DC movies have been going. But I think they got got it right on this one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I tweeted earlier in the week that I think it's the best DC, non, non-Batman DC movie that they've done. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. This movie was very, very good uh, front to back. They did not waste much. It was very, very well done. They yeah, deserve... it's, it, it was, uh, the structure on it was excellent, which was kind of my problem with Suicide Squad is the way it was structured and, and, and how they kind of, cr- kind of crammed in the characters. This was done well. This was really, really put together well. Awesome. So um, we already have a long show on tap. So we why do. don't we just go ahead and go right to it? All right. So thank- we'll get Joe and Amy on the line. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful day and week and year and whatever else you Enjoy can do. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, bye. All right, we have on the line Joe and Amy from the One Movie Punch podcast. And on the table, we have the cat, apparently. Um, okay, so, hey, guys, how you doing? Great. Good. Hello. Good. Feels like we just talked to you. I know. <laughs> Salt in the wound, sir. <laughs> the story there is that we recorded this two days ago, and about 10 minutes from the end, my computer decided to update its windows, and uh, it, we lost everything right in the middle of it. So we are recording again. And I will say it out to everybody out there in Radio Land. Thank you so much to join Amy for giving us their time again. Uh, it's very much appreciated, and I'm disappointed because the first conversation was so it was good. amazing. We're going to recreate that now for you guys, word yes. for word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to prove how creative we're just as creative as some of the people in the movie we're about to discuss. So, welcome, Joe and Amy. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves and your podcast before we get started? All right. Uh, my name is Joseph Dobzinski Jr. I'm the host, producer, and engineer of One Movie Punch, your daily movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies, one movie per day, every day. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at One Movie Punch and at OneMoviePunch.com. Uh, our episodes are about 10 minutes long. They have an intro, a promo, and then a very short movie review. Uh, we do an occasional skit and then the occasional multi-month crossover or multi-episode crossover. And then o- over on our Patreon page, uh, starting last year, we have some exclusive content, including full interviews with some writers and directors uh, and some special series like Meet the Critics and uh, One Movie Punch Presents Zero Percent, where I actually review films that have received the lowest possible score at Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that, uh, that sounds awesome. Uh, so that's me. All right. And um, my name is Amy, um, a.k.a. One Movie Spouse. About, I don't know, one year into our journey on the One Movie Punch um, train, I decided I needed to brand myself a bit. So I wouldn't say I'm the other half of One Movie Punch because it truly takes an enormous team to make everything happen. Uh, by day, I am an elementary school teacher. By early morning, I am an online teacher. I teach English to students in China. And uh, watching movies is something that I really enjoy doing, both with Joe and with our daughter and by myself in my free time. And uh, One Movie Punch has definitely um, increased my love of movies and has helped me see genres of things I wouldn't normally consider watching. 
So yay. That's, yeah, you that's two, awesome. You two are very, very busy people. Yes. Very yeah. busy. Yeah. I, I am too, but mostly with things I don't want to do, which is <laughs> unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the reasons Greg and I started the podcast, because Greg has a podcast uh, with his friend Mike, and the, that's called Top 5 for Fighting. Uh, we decided to do a podcast because while we have very similar taste, when our tastes diverge, they are very, very different. And there are definitely movies that the other one of us would not consider picking up and watching on our own unless there was some urging by said spouse. So urging, to, urging in air quotes, <laughs> <laughs> urging, <laughs> coercing, forcing, you know, synonyms. Uh, so when you guys uh, have those divergence tastes in your movie repertoire, uh, where do each of you land? Okay, so I absolutely love, love, love musicals, Bollywood films, rom-coms, action films, and um, I've really developed a love for musical documentaries. Um, over the last year. Um, and I will say the one film genre that I absolutely do not like, but I'm starting to stick a toe in the water, is zombie films. <laughs> Which is really ironic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. Uh, I started uh, watching films at a uh, very young age. My uncle used to take me to films. And then uh, when I got older and uh, couldn't sleep at night, I would turn on syndicated television and watch all the films that were on places like USA's Up All Night or uh, any of the, the multi late night film uh, series that were out there. And so I, I started with like B movies I thought were great. And then whatever I could find at the local video store, um, as time went on, I've actually come to enjoy uh, just about every genre. Um, I, I don't know of any genre that I don't like, but there are there's like thematic content that where our tastes diverge now, I think. Uh, for, for me, I, I don't mind if it gets a little excessively violent or gory or whatever it is, as long as it has a good context. But I know there are thematic limits for one movie spouse here. So mm-hmm. um <laughs> And and there's only so much I'm willing to take if uh, uh, rom com gets too saccharine, and she respects that uh, uh, <laughs> level as well. That's good. Yeah, that's nice. It's nice that you can uh, find the happy medium there. Yeah, it, this I think I really wanted to start start this podcast with Greg because I always felt bad because one of the things that I like is when I grew up watching TV, it was way before cable. And so you watched what was on. And so I remember, you know, sitting in the basement of our house watching, you know, Doris Day and Rock Hudson movies and, uh, you know, all a lot of those movies from the 60s and the 70s. And I just really got into those older films and Greg would watch them with me. And I kind of felt bad because he would watch things like The Expendables or any of the diehards and things like that. And I would either begrudgingly sit there or just not really get into it and watch it. And I just kind of firmly believe that you don't necessarily have to like a film to appreciate what somebody you care about appreciates about it. So this podcast was born. So to get us into our discussion, I'm just going to do a brief summary and I'm going to do two summaries. I'm going to do the non uh, non non-spoiler version so those of you who are listening, if you 
haven't seen One Cut of the Dead, which is the movie that Joe and Amy pick for us, um, I strongly encourage you to go and listen or watch it. Um, it is on Shutter. Uh, we watched it on Amazon Prime yeah, it for was, about four ninety nine. It was a four ninety nine rental. I believe it's on. Is it Zulu? Is that the other uh, streaming service that uh, we don't have? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I thought I thought we had them all. I mean, <laughs> no, we don't. Um, and I think you can also buy it on YouTube as well. Okay. So, um, so those are the areas you can go get it. So here's the non-spoiler version. Things go badly for a hack director and film crew shooting a low-budget zombie film in an abandoned World War II Japanese facility when they are attacked by real zombies. Here's the spoiler version of it. The makers of a low-budget zombie film called One Cut of the Dead are shooting at an abandoned water filtration plant. The director argues with the actors and eventually abandons them. As the actors wait for him to return, a real zombie apocalypse begins to the delight of the director who insists that the camera a- operator continue filming. Long, uh, this, this film that you're seeing looks like an actual B-movie. It's got long, awkward pauses, stilted dialogue, odd looks from the actors to the camera, some really crazy zooming and panning, and one bizarre extended shot of our ingenue screaming. Once the credits roll... The film flashes back to once one month later, and it's revealed that the director has been approached by the, a zombie channel to create a TV episode of a zombie attack using only one camera without any edits, and it will be broadcast live. The director is known in the business for being fast, cheap, and average. His daughter also wants to be the director, and she reflects an idealism that he gave up a long time ago. We are introduced to the cast and crew, a pop star trying her first foray into acting, an entitled male heartthrob actor, and an array of supporting actors, including an alcoholic and a controlled freak who seems to be over persnickety about the water that's being given to him. <laughs> Just b- before, we, before we even decide to move on from that, that blew my mind. I did not know that only s- not just night soft water would give someone diarrhea. <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> oh god i believe uh yamagoe is uh now the new spokesperson for uh anti-ibs medicine in, in japan are, are you serious, serious? no oh. <laughs> oh damn you you fish hooked me joe okay. that's awesome well done well done all right so let me just finish up here <laughs> When the film starts, uh, when the film starts rolling, the, our movie turns into a complete comedy of er- errors. First, two cast members who were having an affair get in a car accident and cannot make it to the film's remote location. So our director must jump in and play the role of the director. The director's wife and daughter, who are visiting the set, are also want to be involved and the daughter quickly volunteers her mother a former actress for the other open role despite her father's odds uncertainty about it when filming starts the audience finally gets to see what all those weird things were all about and all the problems that arose during filming and why those bad movie moments occurred the entire cast and crew must come together and complete the 37 minute show without ever stopping the camera this film was released in 2017, and it was written and directed by Shinichiro Udia. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but I gave it my best. I'm sure you did just fine. 
Okay, guys. So why did you pick this film for us to watch? Uh, because One Cut of the Dead is a cult classic in the making, and it seems the only time people uh, will watch it is if someone badgers other people to watch it. So <laughs> when you asked what we could badger you with to watch, we knew exactly which film to pick. Um, and it's one of those films where it, it definitely has a unique first viewing experience, but it's also a film that I think it's better with multiple viewings. I, I watched it for the fifth time in the last four months uh, before we did the interview. Uh, and it, I still find things new about it. And it's, it's, it's a visual. Uh, Andrew Campbell, our uh, critic who kind of was preaching the gospel to me about um, One Cut of the Dead, he said it best when he said it's a cinematic magic trick and it happens before your eyes. And even when you know the trick, after you go back and watch it, you still want to see it happen all over again. And that's such a rare thing in filmmaking. Yeah, I think he nailed it. That's yeah, a, that's, that's a, a, good way a fantastic of... description. Yeah, definitely. So, Greg, I knew a little bit about this film just because I listened to podcasts that talk about different horror movies. So I knew there was a little bit of a twist. When you were watching this, or even before you sat down and pressed play, what were you expecting? I knew there was a twist, but I didn't know what it was because you had talked about it. Uh, I, as everybody knows, I'm not a hardcore horror guy. I'll, I'll watch them. It's not my first choice. If... If I, I, I don't like over the top gore. Like even though one of my f my favorite horror movie is the the original Halloween, I think it's fantastic. But I will never watch the Rob Zombie version just because. Not that I don't think he's a good filmmaker. It's just I don't need I don't need that over the top stuff. So when I found out we were going to watch this, first off, I was like, man, this is going to be bloody because that's typically what you get out of a B movie that's a zombie movie or something. They don't have the acting or the script, so they go over the top with the gore. Um, but I was thankful that it wasn't Mandy. So, you know, it was a give and take. <laughs> yeah, we were really scared. That yeah. When you mentioned Shutter Joe, I was like, oh, damn, he's going to make us watch Mandy. I honestly didn't know what to expect because even though I knew there was some sort of twist, I didn't know what it was. So I was, I was very nervous. Not that I was going to be grossed out or anything, but I'm like, is this... I mean, I, sh I should have known better. From a guy that puts up one movie review a day... I should have known that this was going to be a stud movie, and it, it was. It did. It ended up being that way. But I just apprehensive is probably the better word. I was just like, am I going to enjoy this? Am I going to like it? But that that's. I, I had no idea. I had no. I had no spoiler uh, idea at all. And if you're going to watch this movie, and, and really enjoy it, you should have no spoilers when you watch it the first time because it it really really make it it ruins it a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I knew. I didn't know the specifics of what that twist was, but I knew that there was a twist as well from listening to, uh, I think I heard of, first heard about it on Evolution of Horror podcast. And they did talk a little bit about the characters, but I just, it didn't really click. Um, what I didn't expect about this film was it to be such a feel-good movie at the end. That's the one that fished, fished me. Um, just, it was absolutely amazing how you walk away from this film feeling. Amy, mm -hmm. Amy, you don't like horror movies, and you especially yeah. don't like zombie movies. What were <laughs> what was you thinking when you first sat down to watch it? Did you know well, the spoilers or yeah. anything? No, I knew nothing other than um, let's see, Thanksgiving evening. We had a friend come celebrate Thanksgiving with us, and he and Joe stayed up and watched the movie into the night. 
The next morning we all got up and it was like, oh my God, guess what we're doing today? I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. That's great, honey. One cut of the dead. Okay. So, but, but again, like you said, Greg, I should, I should just, Joe knows what I like and what I don't like. And the fact that he kept pushing for me to see it, I just had to watch it with an open mind. Now that doesn't mean I watched it with open arms. I sat on the couch, like arms all crossed and like, (laughs) what? Wait, what? And then our 15 year old daughter, one movie spawn was watching it with us too. And, and she and Joe would kind of banter back and forth and, as the film went on, I definitely felt my apprehension come down, especially, you know, after that 30 minute mark where you're in and then you see the behind the scenes. I'm like, OK, OK. And Joe just kept looking over at our faces, watching our reaction. He's like, this is even better this time because I get to see what you think about it. So it really um, it really changed my perception of zombie films as well. Doesn't mean I'm going to be, you know, lining up to watch every episode of The Walking Dead or anything like that. But I definitely appreciated what this film was trying to do. Nice. Yeah, it's really less about zombie than it is just zombie as a a, a mean a, a mode to kind of get tell the story of people who are trying yes. a creative endeavor. It's the best way I can think of encapsulating what I feel about this movie. It's like the Rocky of B-movie making. Yes. Joe, did you know the twist when you watched it the first time? No. Andrew Campbell uh, was very careful not to reveal anything, even in his review. Um, the review is kind of a joke, actually. He, uh, he, he, For folks who've seen the film, his review of it for One Movie Punch is... Uh, him starting and stopping the review three times. Um, and after each time he stops it, we throw in a trailer segment, just like towards the end where they have to stop it three times uh, <laughs> before taking right. the head off. And I didn't get the beauty of that review until I went back and saw it the third time. I'm like, I saw what you did there. Andrew. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah. And so I, uh, I, uh, I didn't know anything going into it. So all I knew is that I wanted to watch it and I was actually waiting for my buddy to uh, watch it with because uh, we both came up with zombie films and, and all of that. Um, and so I was expecting uh, kind of uh, 1917, but by George Romero, like they were going to try to do, <laughs> they're going to try to do a zombie film and, and it was probably going to be pretty good, but you know, they would do the best they could. Some fun stuff might happen. And we watched it. We got through the first section where it's the 37 minutes uh, of one cut. And we were like impressed, but like wondering, you know, that didn't seem like a feature length film. And then by the time they go back uh, after the one month ago flashback and they start filming it and you get to see it from the other angles, I started swearing at the screen. I was, I, 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 was so tricked. I had the rug pulled out from underneath me. Uh, every joke was amplified. Every heartwarming moment is amplified. It's, it's just one of those films that uh, I didn't know what to, I expected what I grew up with watching USA up all night and trauma films that were syn- made for syndicated television. I did not expect the genius uh, construction and owed to independent filmmaking that this film ends up being. Yes. And that's exactly what it is. And it, 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 spot on. 
Well, it was funny because when, when I was sitting next to Greg and watching it, he was like, is this supposed to be funny? I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, and once you get past that, and, and it, it truly is, as you're watching a film, just, it seems like a film that was made with some really odd choices directorially and, and, and acting and all that. But even so, once you are done with the film in its entirety, the next day you're thinking, wow, they actually did that first half of that film in one cut. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's yep. pretty amazing in and of itself. They actually did. Um, they did film it in one cut, and they per- they did a perfect pull on the second filming. But there was a camera glitch that allowed it made the, the, the recording unusable, but it took them six tries. Uh, so that's not too bad, to be honest with you. I I thought all the stuff that happened in the movie, uh, the first 37 minutes, made perfect sense to me that it was happening that way because that's what you see in a B movie because you don't have the money to continue to go back and fix mistakes. You don't have a good editor. You you know, something happens. You're like, okay, well, we only have, you know, three more hours of film. So that's kind of what I was taking it for and assuming that it was a straight B movie. I was I, I I didn't know if they were trying to be serious or not. That's why I asked her that. I said, "Is this? Am I supposed to be laughing? Because I don't. Mm-hmm. I will laugh when I watch it the second time. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know now why they're doing that stuff. But yeah, yeah. I actually, I uh, that was the fun for me introducing it to uh, Amy and Eileen. That uh, they they were like basically throwing shade after a while and and like doing their own like riff tracks so like this doesn't even seem realistic and like <laughs> when they all turn and stop when the door gets slammed and they're like what is this i don't get what why are they discussing what's palm i don't understand <laughs> and like the whole time i'm just like trying to contain myself because like i had every single one of those questions as i was watching it the first time and so to watch somebody else like puzzle through it like oh i know what's going on here all confident striding into the movie and right. then and then having everyone gets the rug pulled out from underneath them and I, you know i i almost feel like the only people who don't like this film are those who like are contrarians like like they have to hate something you know <laughs> right <laughs> Not happy unless how, how, not happy unless they're complaining. Yeah. 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 There I mean this film is is what what I didn't expect was obviously that there's there's that component with the father and the daughter. And so that factors in very much to um kind of the inner conflict to the director who is our main character. And then there's just the the overall the comedy of errors that happens when the it's filmmaking and you've got all these different personalities yet they all pull together at the end. And that is what makes this film just absolutely amazing. It's a true story about American courage and, and, and fighting on in Japan. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Why not? There's some Americans over there. (laughs) The, uh, we kind of touched on this before a little bit deeper into the podcast, but we'll, I I think I want to hit it up a little bit earlier this time. These movies are such a rare treat because it's something that gets bogged down in legal issues and uh, financial issues about them actually making it out of their home country and into the United States. There's so many of these lower in train uh, movies. Train to Busan is the one that comes one that comes to mind in this, where they don't make a parasite uh, probably without the Oscar push and the buzz behind it. You know, it's just the smaller films that don't make it. You watch so many 
films and see so many advertisements for the films on Amazon when you're just sitting there scrolling through trying to figure it out, and you can't, you, you don't know anything about it, and it may be a great movie, but you don't want to waste two two hours of your time to when you're done go, well, that was a pile of garbage. What what can we do as like film enthusiasts to make that better for people so that, that I mean, I'd never even heard of One Cut of the Dead until you recommended this to us, and this is legitimately one of the best movies I've seen in 15 years. How do you think we could make that better for people? Um, by watching a ton of bad films, probably, and finding the, the diamonds in the rough, I guess. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> you know, um, honestly, uh, this film did get a viewing in uh, at Fantastic Fest in Austin, and I found that that film festival, uh, every Friday, Andrew Campbell does a uh, film from the Fantastic Fest Festival uh, when it uh, debuted there or played there at least. And I think that film festival and a handful of others now are starting to be smarter about bringing in international features because they know there's an audience for them. I also think that the streaming services like Netflix and uh, Hulu and maybe not Amazon because there's just too much, um, but the ones that are a little choosier with their acquisitions lately. Um, Netflix brings in a ton of international features and I can't say they're all good, um, but a lot of them are. And so I think it's important that we watch more international films uh, just because there's so much going on outside of Hollywood and the independent New York film scene. Um, and that when we find films like One Cut of the Dead, that we're sharing them immediately with people so that they don't have to go through, uh, you know, a decade of trauma films to find the one good one. So it's I think it's a combination of continuing the word of mouth, um, but also to take more chances on international film as a whole. Gotcha. I, I like it. So. When we uh, what this is this film, I I, I do want to talk a little bit more about some of the things that make this film just absolutely brilliant. Um, but what stands out in your mind as far as it just blew you away because you were like, oh wow, uh, just the way that they handled this whole story. Because I feel like nothing was wasted in exposition once you once you make that jump from B movie. And all the context of in your memory of that movie, um, to the one th one month later point and on, because every bit of exposition, every every little character, you know, quirk is is really um, not wasted. It comes back and pays off later. Um, what do you, what did you think? What stood out to you? Um, I think for me, um, just the we're going to make this film no matter what. And we definitely get that in the second half of the film as they're looking back. So we have um, <clears throat> we have the dad who jumps in as the director yelling action all throughout <laughs> the film. We now really understand why. I mean, when you're watching it in the first 37 minutes, you're like, all right, that guy's intense. <laughs> then you look at all the stuff he had to go on outside of the making of the film that we didn't see. Uh, that's why he kept things going. Um, on a similar um, on a similar token, we discovered just how intense the mother character is, mm. and that she goes from you know being kind of um, 
farcical to, whoa, she's a method actor who's seriously going to break someone's arm. She is intense. And so, you know, throughout, we were all joking in our house, um, pum, pum, <laughs> pum, all throughout. And for those who haven't seen it yet, you will jump on the palm bandwagon too. And then lastly, um, again, just tying in with that, make this movie happen. When we have the one character who is truly just totally stone cold drunk, but he must be part of the film. Everything it took both the director and all of the stagehands behind the scene to get him propped up, make the make the chase scene happen and things like just true, true determination. Um, Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say that, you know, this film is like, uh, like doing a jigsaw puzzle. Like you see a picture at the front end and you get this 37 minute like video. And then like, that's when you open the box and dump out the pieces. <laughs> and like that whole bridge part before you go back to making it is getting all these pieces and you're not sure what to do with them. You know, we're getting a lot of information from a lot of characters and you're kind of already off kilter as it is when you find all those pieces, but they're all setups for punchlines later on. And then I have found that some of the jokes, you even start to get the beginnings of some jokes in the last part of the film that have punchlines when you watch it the second time around in that first part. Like you, you really begin to appreciate the tension of how long they wait to do things sometimes. <laughs> like it, you can't help but laugh because like that, that whole scene where they're, they're quote improvising uh, in killing time um, is, is really like awkward to watch. Like, like exactly what you were saying before, like, am I supposed to laugh at this? Or like, is this like, I don't understand. Well, maybe that ax is kind of real. I don't know why the ax being real is such a big deal. And then <laughs> later on, it's a huge deal and it's not in the movie. It's a deal. It's outside the movie. That's what it's the big deal. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I liked, um, I liked thinking that, it led me down the things that were happening the first 37 minutes that I, when I watched it the first time, I liked thinking that something bigger and badder is going to, going to happen. Like some of the silliness, the, the, when they hit the door and they all stop and look at the door, I'm like, there's a, there's like a, you know, a resident evil style boss monster that's going to be rolling through here in just a minute. And I'm really curious to see how they did this on a shoestring budget. And then it never it never changed. And then the part where they finally decide that they're going to run to the van and they jump in the van, and he just comes sh running up on the outside. Get get that bitch. Get that bitch. <laughs> and you're like, what? What the hell is going on right now? This guy Wait, is crazy. This, this, I mean, dude, the Oscar is not worth it. <laughs> uh, and and I, I'm I'm in my head. I'm thinking, okay, this is this. I mean, is 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 he running a cult? I, so I'm going, you know, he's got to make sacrifices, like something like Cabin in the Woods. No idea, no idea what's happening here. And I, and, and the, the, I mean, the craziness is just getting crazier. And I got to the point where I'm like, I don't, I'm not even going to try and bother to figure this out anymore. And the one, and, and on to after the get that bitch scene, when she's running through that long tunnel. Yes. And she runs all the way down and she gets to the other end and the zombie's there. And she turns around and she runs the other way. I'm thinking to myself, why in the hell is that zombie walking that way? 
He looked like he was in a Michael Jackson video. He had his hands up over his head, and they were like, <laughs> somebody wobbling. said, "Be yeah. a monkey." Yeah, it looked like he was a zombie, like orangutan or something. Yeah. And I'm like, this is crazy. Why are they doing? There's got to be. A, there's got to be a reason for this, and they never, they never mentioned it. The, those are the, those are the things that I'm looking forward to watching the second time. Uh, I have not had the chance to watch it. Uh, just been too busy. Can't wait to see how I feel about it, knowing. Even though I know, I know, I you know what I mean. Like you said, Joe. You, now that you see it, you see it the first time again or the second time, and you you understand it. And does it make it better? I, I can't. I, I'm really looking forward to the second viewing. Yeah, I found in the second viewing, you can watch that well, in multiple viewings. You can watch that first part either as a standalone piece, which is how they filmed it, or you can look at it like you're watching it with the knowledge that you're seeing the characters on the screen, not just as the characters in the film they were trying to make, but you can see the characters on the screen as the characters that were trying to make the movie. So, I, I mean, I, we're kind of getting meta here in the discussion, but right. like you can look at that first part in two different ways, whether they're the characters in the film or they were the actors playing the characters in the film or they were the team that was playing the actors that was in the, it, it just, it, it spirals in on itself and keeps spiraling in on itself. And I, you, I don't know how else to explain it. You it, almost have to go back and watch it. We've only seen it once, but I know I do want to go back and watch it because when you've seen, when you see what they set up in the second half and how it impacts what you thought were just bad choices in the first half, you start to think about what some of these other characters said. And the first thing I said to Greg was that little PA that was kept bugging the cameraman about doing zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out. <laughs> I'm like, I am damn sure when she got her hands on the camera after he hurt himself and she had to pick up the camera and go on that it, it happened. I said, I just can't remember it. So I got to go back and look for it. Yeah, it happens right away, actually, when they're running through that field. <laughs> she and was... like, you, you know they should have caught the people because there's no way that 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 zombie didn't catch them. But, you know, she was zooming in and out at the zombie to make it look like it was further away or closer. Yeah, there was at one point, I think she slipped and fell. And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that, that scene where she was running with the camera and she reached around with the uh, cloth to wipe the lens off, that yes. was that was ad libbed. That was not supposed to be there. They ended up <clears throat> they ended up getting overspray on the camera, and because they were doing the one take, they didn't want to lose it because the camera was covered with blood. So she did that on the fly, which is yep. pretty funny. I think the other beautiful layered thing about this film too is you know if we can go back to the story about the dad director, um, he sets himself up. You are introduced to him as this fast, cheap, and average guy. And that's what you're expecting from him. That's what you're seeing in the performance in the first half. Um, what you see in terms of the, the dedication this guy has in trying to get this task done, and it's, it's, it is pretty much his mediocre hero's journey, right? Here is your task. Here are your stakes. You have to do this in one take within 37 minutes, and it is live. So he has to do whatever it is in his power to make this thing happen. And ultimately, what you do find out about him is, yes, he has compromised himself because he is super creative in how he has to overcome these problems. And probably the funniest one is the guy who is almost passed out drunk, and he's basically going to have to puppeteer this guy. That, you was, know. that was my weekend at Bernie's moment. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> into doing a zombie attack. And, and those are some of the moments that, you know, create, you know, him, them getting him ready and then, you know, trying to prop him up and he slams against the door and that's the big, what Greg thought was a boomer coming, coming at yeah. them. And, you know, and it just, it's so brilliant. It is just, just so funny. The scene where the father is actually apologizing to the film crew that his daughter was working at because he, the daughter did not want the woman to use eye drops. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and and it was looking back, you know, I I mean, you didn't really, the first time you don't really catch that to me, but he showed who he was and she showed who she was, but yet he was having to kind of smooth it over because the reputation was, well, I'm, I'm going to assume, well, that's his daughter. She must be fast, cheap, and average as well. When she was basically, look, this is going to make it work better. This is going to make it work better. And he never really got angry at her in that scene. But you could see that, I don't want this to come off as sounding bad, that um, Japanese father head figure, you'll do it my way because that's the proper way. He, he You know what I mean? He was, he, he was kind of being hard on her, but understood where she was coming from. Now that you know the whole story, it was mm-hmm. a nice, it was a nice little touch that, that I didn't really catch until I started thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... yeah. They, uh, they do a nice job of not just having kind of the horror story in there um, as the kind of a giant MacGuffin for the, to tell a family story and then ultimately a story about teamwork at the end. Um, and that, that core, the core story between the, the, the father and the daughter is, uh, is, uh, uh, comes through stronger every time you see it because you're, you're ready for it the second time and you get to pick up all those little details that you missed the first time around because you're, you're so off kilter. You, you just like, you're getting rapid fire information about all the people you just watched get slaughtered in the first part <laughs> of the film. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what's going on, but we're going to find out, you know, and, and the, you know, the multiple times I've gone through it now, I uh, really came to appreciate uh, the, the family story and that I, I think he, I think the director um, is struggling in his own career. Um, uh, I don't know. He's struggling in his own career and um, he, just kind of pictures that for his daughter later on and that he's struggling in his career in her career for the exact opposite reason that he's struggling in his career. Um, she's too much of an idealist. He's too willing to compromise because that's where the work is. And by the end of the film, each is kind of learned from the other and yet to make something much greater than either of them probably would have done by themselves or any of them would have done by themselves. Uh, You know, towards the end, it's really, it expands, the story's there and it's a nice thread at the end, but the story expands from the family drama that kind of helps bridge the the middle part of the film and it becomes more about the teamwork of everybody involved at the end. Yeah, I, you know what, you saying that, I just realized that he is that guy. Everybody that came to him with an idea or a problem, he was like, "Uh, okay, I'll take care of it. Oh, you want to do it that way? Okay, that sounds good. Right. When, when they were when they were doing the whole one month of prep, I I just realized that that's he was he was not like 
this is how we're going to do it. It definitely wasn't like a, a Steven Spielberg where this is how we're going to do it because this is my vision. It was like, oh, you want to stand over there? Okay, good good to go. Yeah, that'll, that'll work. <laughs> you want to use eye drops? Okay, no problem. Right. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it, you saw it a little bit in the when you first meet him too when he's meeting with the executives from the zombie channel. You know, they tell him this whole story and he's kind of like, oh, you're kidding me, right? Yeah. No, we're not. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We want you to do it. I'm in. <laughs> what um when you watched it, when you guys watched it and you you got the reveals in the second second and third third of the movies. Were you like, "Oh," or were you like, "Oh my god, that's hysterical." Cuz I kind of was I kind of bounced back and forth. I, I like completely I had completely forgotten about the slam on the door by the time we got to them explaining it. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's what that was. But the whole time I'm like, what, what, what is it with the guy with no pants on, standing in front of her and then walking away? And then when I got it, I'm like, oh, that's great. We, was it more of like a surprise or was it more of like a, a laughter? It was both for me. I, I, I was so angry at being tricked so well that, you know, it, it just... <laughs> It amplified everything for me. Like, like the emotions just became supercharged. So all the funny parts made me laugh that much harder. All the, the emotional uh, dramatic parts really kind of touched me a little deeper because, you know, I, I was so relieved that I wasn't just going to get to see the same thing, like same uh, zombie murder hobos everywhere just <laughs> like from a different perspective. I, I, I was like, I, now I'm getting something new and, and they, they did it. And I, I was laughing at certain parts. I laughed even harder the second time around, like I was saying, because like all the jokes I missed landed even harder the second time. And all the little threads I pick up, I'm like, oh, crap, that's because of that. Oh, yeah. And I, and I can't say anything because I don't want to ruin it for uh, Amy and Eileen. So. <laughs> right. so he's covering his mouth giggling. I mean, that should be our sign. <laughs> Mom, why does dad keep leaving the room and coming back? <laughs> He keeps coming. He's got this weird look on his face, Mom. <laughs> well, yeah. No, Joe's actually very good at, um, if he has seen a movie first, especially this one, at being very tight-lipped about any details. And, um, you know, that's something with One Movie Punch uh, being spoiler-free. Um, that's just kind of our unspoken, like, we might say, or, well, our, our daughter often says, did you see the trailer for... And then, like, almost immediately, it's blah, 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 don't tell us, don't tell us, you don't want to know. But yeah. for Joe, he's very much able to keep that tight lip. And um, he, uh, yeah, during the second viewing, uh, because we watched it again, what, Christmas then? Yeah. yeah, we watched it the day after Thanksgiving, and then we watched it the day after Christmas. Which is when I would have watched him. Yeah, Valentine's <laughs> has passed. I feel like we should be watching it again. But, um, <laughs> Every major holiday. Well, it is President's right. Day, so watch it tomorrow. That's true. That's true. That's true. And each of the times, um, you know, Joe's more or less watching our reactions, watching it. The other three times he watched it by himself. But um, I, I think for me, getting back to the initial question, it really was about the, oh, oh, so that's why. Oh, wait a Oh, that makes sense. And so you felt more of an active participant in the movie rather than what the hell is going on? I just don't get it. Why all the blood? Why? All, 
oh, that's going to splatter a lot. Oh, that there's going to be a lot of splatter. <laughs> very, 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 very fun. What were um, yeah. what were your thoughts about the way the characters developed throughout the entire reveal? Like not understanding why everybody was so goofy. For instance, you know, you're sitting here, you're watching a zombie movie, and a guy's just sitting in the corner. He's just sitting there. He's no lines or nothing, and just decides to get up and walk outside where all the zombies are. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay. I mean, I guess you know, maybe he's in shock. And then, and then the 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 woman that played the, the mother, mm-hmm. she, the, you're like, why why did she complete? Because she went she went ape shit. <laughs> she 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 literally yeah. just lost her lost her mind. And she's like, oh, now she's chasing the two people that 20 seconds ago she was trying to save. And then when all that comes through, which which of those characters did you like the way that they <laughs> that they explained it off better then? Gosh. Um, I actually, uh, wow. Um, I like the, uh, the, I think I like the mother the best. And and I like the mother the best because her her turn comes out of nowhere, um, but it's it also fills in like they they kind of say oh I had to give up acting you know it just became too much and like you think it's because like oh she was a little stressed or you know it's, yeah it's <laughs> trying like, to raise know, her daughter took, like, too much time I had things to do you know and and then you find out it's no because she's, <laughs> she's breaking people's arms. Well, they they give you two very, very red flags because when the daughter goes, well, what about mom? And the father's like, uh, you know, (laughs) you're like, I don't know if he's just trying to like harsh her, you know, don't stand in my shadow kind of a thing. Or I don't know what what it was. But what she's trying to decide when they offer it to her, she gets this look on her face and she's like, should I take it? Should I? No. Yeah, no. And she's just like, there's this manic craziness that just Mm -hmm. lights her. And you're like, I don't know what this is about. (laughs) Right. And it pays off so well. I think I think the best one was the mother. I agree with Joe Mm -hmm. because of the way that it affected once you find out what she did and how the way it affected the whole story. But my favorite was that the guy had diarrhea. (laughs) <laughs> well, and and that's hinted at too because first he starts bugging the, one of the PAs about his water and I sent an email about this I sent an email about the water I sent an email about that and then in the next time you see them all together he's asking her about are there toilets there will there be outhouses I need to know where they're going to be and where they're going to be placed, and you're like, okay, this guy's got IBS. I never, and I never caught it. I never I, caught yeah. onto it until they so, actually showed him squatted in the bushes. <laughs> and then you see him drink from a bottle, and then take a look and go, oh crap, you know, <laughs> you know, no, no pun intended. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're like, you kind of know, but you just didn't put it together that this was the guy that just freaked out and ran out to where the zombies were. And the way that they handle it is brilliant because they're like, okay, now we got to make him a zombie. All of a sudden, they had to make that that decision right then and there. And he's out in the bushes, squat down, and the poor makeup artist has got to try to put contact lenses in him and like make up his face and put the <laughs> while he's while he's doing number two, for yeah. lack of a better way to say it, with no to- no baby wipes. Oh, so. <laughs> 
I hope so, there's some hazard pay for that. <laughs> it was all special effects, Joe. It was all special effects. The, yeah. the, one, the one that I did not anticipate because they give you a red herring in, in, the, in the guy that has the alcoholic. You see him at the rehearsals and he's drinking. And then he's sitting down and he's talking to the director and basically saying, you know, I have a picture of my daughter here in the script and remind me that I'm doing this and I've stopped drinking. So now you're like, okay, good. He stopped drinking. And then you see an empty bottle on the set that presumably he had. It was I don't know with this champagne or something sake. that they sent sake. It was sake. Yeah, okay. Um, that that's the one you didn't expect him to just be that stupory drunk that he had to be manipulated that way, and the beautiful. <laughs> I don't know why I'm calling this beautiful because it's absolutely disgusting. When you're watching it in the <laughs> B movie, you think um, that mm. he's kind of one of those John Carpenter, Night of the Dead, or not, really Bam, whatever it was, Night of the Devil or whatever it's called, zombie, where he, they throw up on their victims. And he does it to the first guy who's supposed to be attacked. And then when he comes barreling into the... Uh, the water filtration plant he throws up on somebody else and so it's consistent in the first half so you're thinking well that's the kind of zombie it is odd choice okay and then when it dawns on you that he's actually throwing up on his fellow cast members oh. it is hysterical and when they cut to the first guy who gets it i have to get it right in the face Oh yeah! Oh, oh yes! And yeah. he's freaking out, and the makeup ladies are trying to deal with him, and he's screaming for wipes, oh and God, they oh don't have any. Oh my God! He's like, Get off me! <laughs> yes, that Beautiful. right there nailed it. Nailed it. Oh, oh it, so so. So fantastic. it had gross out humor to it. It was just, <laughs> it's just amazing. The um, I would like to. I would like to get my hands on. And it doesn't exist, but just because I'm that guy, I would like to get my hands on the actual script that they had to deviate from. Right, because the mother goes off the rails. Because well, not not just that. I mean, the guy the guy walks out. You know what was his role before right. he became you know right. King Poopy Pants? Um, <laughs> it would be you know, does the director actually die? Uh, does the boyfriend actually? I would I would love to know what their actual thought was. But I mean, obviously, it would never happen. But you know, it would be it would be fun to. I'm to, sure if there's an anniversary cut, if this becomes a big enough, you know, cult classic, they might you know, package it up. They they are they they could do a re, uh, a sequel. It could be one cut of the Dead Two Weekend at Bernie's Four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would love to see them like come out with the sequel, but it was a sequel they shot while they were doing this one from an even different angle. Like, mm-hmm. That would be mm-hmm. some like Inception oh, stuff. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah, true. A movie within a movie within this, a movie. This is a movie that I I would say like Tucker and Dale. It would be really hard to pull a sequel off for for this movie. To me, and you don't want to. I, I I agree. I, I agree. I don't even want it remade. I I just want it to stay the same. I I don't I don't want to see him try and remake this. Uh, Americanize it because I, I don't think it would be, I don't think it'd be any, any near as good because you're going to go into it knowing what the twist is, and then they're going to say, "Well, we don't want you to know what the twist is, so we're going to twist the twist, and then they're going to ruin it." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You guys were saying before that they're 
it's like a, a one cut of the dead Hollywood. Is that what what the remake is making for? Because they are do, going to do an English language version of it. Yeah, there's something that's currently out on IMDb that's called One Cut of the Dead Dead in Hollywood, but I don't know what it is, and I don't think there's any info when uh, uh, Greg was looking it up earlier. Yeah, there's there's nothing on it. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, obviously, um, some of the history with One Cut of the Dead was after, uh, like most films in Japan, um, they wait to see how they do there, and then they evaluate whether to distribute them into the United States theaters. And um, prior, while they were negotiating distribution, and I know you guys do box office and all that, so I don't want to reveal any of that information, but when they were trying to get it distributed elsewhere, uh, the film itself got pirated onto Amazon's site um, and was up for like two months. And then they had real issues trying to negotiate anything with anyone because they're like, well, everyone's already seen it. And then people who saw it there scraped it off of Amazon and were passing it around on BitTorrent. Um, so, uh, I wish this film had a theatrical release because I think not only is this a film, uh, in the United States, like a wide release, not just the New York and LA. So it sort of counts for awards if something happens. Uh, like, I, I think this is one of those films where you can get a big group of people to go see it and they would walk out of the, the film <clears throat> loving it. And it would be one of those like underground blockbuster hits that was like clerks, you know, would find an audience right? Whether, mm-hmm. where nobody thought there was one. Mm-hmm. And I would certainly go see it just to watch everybody else in that theater who hadn't seen it for the first time going, what the hell is this bullshit? I don't understand. <laughs> you know, and we're just, and the rest of us get to sit back and laugh. And you like, stand hey, up and go, sit down. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Don't stop the camera. <laughs> you will watch this movie. Bravo, sir. Sir, settle down. I am calm. I am deadly calm. Well, I had heard on the when this thing had had made around on the festival circuits and they were trying to get a distri- distributor for it. Um that the podcast that I listened to is, is um, related to the British film Institute. So that the, the host was saying when he was watching it, he was, he saw people just in the first 37 minutes, just stand up and walk out. Cause they thought they yeah. were just watching this bad B film. And he said, I really feel bad for people who just did sit and wait all the way through because it's just an amazing piece of art i totally i totally understand why somebody would get up and walk out of that in the first 37 minutes but on the other hand and i've never been fortunate enough to go to any of these film festivals i would like to like a like a fantastic fest or a south by southwest or something like that the people that run those um festivals are they're diehard film people they're they're not going to put some piece of garbage up because no one would no one wants to watch it i would feel like if you're at that festival with the intention of seeing some new and good movies that you would like, you would have to have faith in the people that were running the show, right? I mean, you would think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are two kind of two types of film festival uh, uh, folks. There are are the people who run them. Um, Some, you know, because of the volume of the entries that they get, if a film doesn't catch them in the first 10 to 15 minutes, um, they they stop it and and they just go on to the next one. Um, so then what ends up happening is you get a lot of films at film festivals that really start out well. And then, you know, that's where they obviously put all the effort and then they okay. just kind of throw the rest of it together. 
The, the other side of it, though, is that you do have those diehard film people, and I think Fantastic Fest does a better job than most, where they don't just look at the pile of DVDs and go through 10 minutes of each you know, video and decide which ones might be passable. Like they're doing real research or they're getting word of mouth. And, you know, this was in Japan and did very well in Japan beforehand. So I'm sure that helped it, you know, go up a little higher on the list. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. I, I, I would I, love, I would love to be able to go one of those. One of one of the film festivals that I would actually like to go to is the one that Michael Moore has in uh, Traverse city, Michigan, just because he handpicks all the movies and, like his political beliefs or, or views or not, he makes pretty doggone good movies. I mean, he, he knows oh, yeah. he knows what he's knows what he's doing. And uh, Doug Benson goes there every year, and uh, he does a little show, and then they have the panels. I would like to get to go to something like that where you know you're going to just see quality after quality after quality. But I would like to get the opportunity to go to any of these at some point. Maybe maybe one day, one day when I win the lottery. One of the benefits of uh, Quentin Tarantino taking over the new Beverly Cinema down in Los Angeles is that he he does all the programming now for the theater. Yes. Um, so like he gets to decide every day, uh, you know, what films are coming in that week, and and doesn't like to bring any garbage in. You know, um, in fact, likes to showcase the stuff that isn't being showcased and. Um, I, I wish more theaters did that. I wish more theaters didn't have six screens of Hobbs and Shaw and, and took three of those screens and had one that had one cut of the dead or one that was rotating through a bunch of indie features instead of getting five people per showing of, you know, the third week of Hobbs and Shaw. Right. I mean, it, there, there's so much, so much dead space in the theaters now when they have multi screens and, uh, you know, and maybe that's because they they buy those screens off. I mean, somehow Doolittle is still in the theater around here, and and I'm not yeah. sure why. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I can't believe that he stopped being Iron Man so that he could be that. I mean, whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, I haven't seen it, but I haven't talked to anybody that has either, and its reviews are horrible. I don't typically look at a review and say, "Oh, well, he didn't like it." I like to make up my own mind. But the box office is usually a fairly good indicator of how good a movie is, too. Usually, especially especially on a monster release. But something that gets released on January fifteenth, I don't have much faith in it. No, no, right. no, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's great about this movie too is um, I think that there were two films that came out of the the uh, Pacific Rim around the same time that were both zombie themed, and they've kind of been credited with. Reviving an undead genre? Is that the best no, way the, to say that? The, the Pacific Rim was about robots, babe. No, honey, no. Oh. <laughs> so we're talking about Train to Busan. Okay. Right. Um, and that is really more of a straight horror film, but it's very creative in how it does its zombies. Um, it is got a very strong story, very strong characters, and very huge emotional beats. Um I never, well, I guess I could say I cried a little bit at Shaun of the Dead, but I never thought I would cry as much as I did watching that film. And then there's this film as well, which is got the zombie component. It's not necessarily a zombie film per se, but it it's definitely the some of the most unique creative stories and storytelling that I've seen in a in a long time and it actually you know train to busan i'd heard about as well 
um, on, you know, just a horror movie podcast that was exploring the zombie genre. And I, you know, heard it was on Netflix. So I said to Greg, because I was around Halloween anyway. So I said, let's just sit down and let's watch it. And let me rephrase that. It was sit down or watching this. Please. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I, I was blown away. And I, I, I felt a little bit ashamed too, because I just didn't expect it to be that good from production, from story. And I really, it really made me think differently about, you know, watching films from other places. And I really wish a lot more people would get on board with that. And so let's hope with, you know, with Parasite winning Best Picture that we get more acceptance of that. I I was a little surprised at some of the blowback that happened after the Oscars, but I, I think we're getting there. I and it's you know not so Hollywood centric in our in our thinking. Yeah, I think most people forget that uh, the Academy is comprised of mostly United States based people. I mean, it's not, and and largely uh, uh, old white men, um, just from how how many people were actually producers back when those things were being made and in the business itself. Um, so. Uh, Bong Joon-ho, uh, the, the writer-director of Parasite, um, he actually said that, you know, the Oscars are really kind of a local thing now um, for the blossoming film scene all across the world. Um, you know, uh, Bollywood, uh, for the Indian film scene, puts out about five films a day uh, on average. Um, th- th- you know, so a lot of it's garbage, um, and they'll say it themselves, but that's a lot of output happening um, that none of us get to see unless it's like Slumdog Millionaire is allowed to, you know, be a story. And that was even Danny Boyle. That wasn't even, uh, um, you know, an actual Bollywood film per se. Um, and then uh, Nollywood, which is the Nigerian film scene, has also increased quite a bit. Um, they, they put out uh, probably half as many films maybe as uh, Hollywood does, but that's still a ton of films. And so all these other film scenes are popping up all over the place across the world. And, you know, a lot of folks think, well, if it's not a big blockbuster Hollywood thing, it can't be any good. And that's just wrong, just wrong across the board. And we're starting to see that now. And honestly, I think a lot of the blowback with Parasite is that they don't want to believe that. It, like subconsciously, I think, like it, like a film, the best film of the year couldn't come from outside of the United States. Like that's unfathomable, you know, and I... <laughs> That's not unfathomable for me. I, most of the cinema I like is actually from outside the United States nowadays. And the fact that it had subtitles, you know, <laughs> and it's yeah, the, it's the this... one inch hurdle of subtitles. Yeah, <laughs> I I will actually say thank you to you guys because I was one of those guys that it, uh, you know it wasn't an American theater. It must not be very good. Even even if you put it in an American theater with the subtitles, I just it just I guess that that level of arrogance that you don't really realize you're having and being arrogant. After Train to Busan, I'm like, okay, they got some chops over there. But now after seeing this, I, I'm really going to be more open to watching a non-mainstream blockbuster film because, I mean, we we I was kind of in the middle of this saying this the other night when when the when the computer crapped out on us. I I don't think there's very many perfect movies that exist. I I think there's always something that I can complain about or say, you know, yeah, but what about that part right there? Um, fortunately, you let us review for the Reign of Terror. You let Top Five for Fighting do Aliens. I think that's one of them. 
Uh, I think Jaws is a perfect movie. I think that this movie, One Cut of the Dead, is I, it's it's there's nothing to complain about. No, there's nothing to complain about. If you watch it from start to finish, you can't say anything bad about anything. Not even the acting, because you realize at this point they're not even acting. They're just they're winging it. And I, and, and and you don't get to see that many perfect movies, and to get to see one that you never even made it to the theaters in the United States, really. I mean, it did barely. That's, I mean, to me, that's like my highest compliment I can give a film. That movie's perfect. I can't complain about it because, I'll be honest with you, I pick movies apart on stupid stuff. Like, anytime I go, I'll pause it, and my wife and son. We'll go, oh, God, he's fixing to make fun of something electrical. Yeah, it's, here, it's coming. here it comes. <laughs> every, every time. And, I, and I, I'm like, you, you do a little bit of research, you, you know, uh, uh, A Quiet Place. We're watching it, and he flows <laughs> oh, the switch, God. and I'm like, lights don't change color like that. She just goes, will you shut up? <laughs> and, and that was a great movie, but I can say that's not how that works, so no. Yeah. This didn't exist in this movie, and... I, I'm very, very impressed that you can make what I would consider to be a perfect movie on a $25,000 budget. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was simple, to, uh, but it was layered. And and that's... that's Like an onion. Like an onion, or parfait. <laughs> Most people like parfaits. More than onions. Um, so I, I found it amazing, too, that they were able to give even some of the smallest characters these beats of redemption because we had the the heartthrob guy who's you know an actor and he's got a big fan base and he kind of acting like this is ruining my career yeah he was a pompous twit uh especially when mother you know mommy goes off the rails right and she decides that she's completely full-blown method and you you really wonder, you know, if he's going to walk off the set. And at the end, uh, the, you know, the big uh, apex of this movie is they have to get this boom shot and the boom has been knocked off the building. And so they have to get in that pyramid to get the girl on the top. And that's, that's where the daughter came in with her tenacity and her creativity. And she's like, nope, this is how we're going to do it. And gets everybody together. And the second that you see him get on that pyramid as well, you you tear up a little bit. You're like, oh, my God, look, look. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, God, how am I invested in this character? (laughs) It just Mm -hmm. sneaks up on you. I liked liked also the part where they were, they they hired him because they wanted uh, quick, cheap, and average. Yes. Right? And when the shit hits the fan and they're having to do all this stuff and they realize that when he first starts acting, the guy's like, oh, this guy's got chops. The producer that was there, this guy's got chops. Yeah. But when they realize they needed the scene and they're like, we got to have this scene at the end. And the producer was like, eh, eh, nah, fuck it. We're fast, cheap and average too. Don't, don't worry about it. We don't need that scene. And he flips out, literally lost his mind screaming at him and then goes, oh, yeah. Uh, hey, I'm sorry about that. I'm going to go back out here. <laughs> well, the, one of the reasons they needed the boom shot is uh, there was in the in the B movie, the one of the production assistants says, well, I got to go take the, he wants me to take this bucket of blood, quote unquote, blood to the, to the roof. And you and so that pays off at the end when you get the boom shot to see that this pentagram has been painted on the roof and that's how he's invoked these zombies or whatever. That's what you assume anyway. Yeah. And, 
and so to not get that shot, you know, he put this together that he, you know, he was ready to compromise that. And she completely comes in and saves the day. And, you know, the part that, that we know makes Joe cry is, you know, when the daughter is one of the things that the, the director had in his script to remind him, you know, and it, of what keeps him going on was a picture of her as a little girl on his shoulders with his camera in her hands. And that's what gives the girl the idea. This is how we're going to do it. And you see them with his, he's there with his daughter on his shoulders and they're getting that shot. It is amazing. And it's a great emotional beat to really cap this thing off. Feel good movie of the year. Yeah. Yeah, he just de- mm-hmm. she, they had just defeated Apollo Creed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you guys have anything else in the movie that you'd like to touch on or or anything else you'd like to to comment about or something we didn't we didn't hit? You know, um I, I found uh especially as the film goes on and, and it becomes about teamwork at the end that uh, it reminded me a great deal of how much I loved the first season of Glow. Um, on Netflix. I don't know if you guys have watched uh, that fabulous series, but I want to watch it very much. Yeah, we haven't seen it yet. So, you know, they're they're trying to do a live television show and uh, on an, an, a local access kind of thing. And they all have personalities and they all have issues kind of with one another and whatnot. But the, the, the apex of that whole season is when they do their first live uh, event. And that, that episode is great because Things are going wrong. They're working around it. Producers are showing up asking why they're doing this, you know, and um, they don't do it nearly as well as one cut of the, excuse me, they don't do it nearly as well as one cut of the dead, I think. But um, what it reminds me of is that when we think of film, we often think of, and especially at the awards, you know, it's always for the, the, the big people, the screenwriters, the, the, the makeup designers, the, the uh, uh, the writers, the directors, the actors, and, you know, the technical Oscars are the ones that, you know, people only care about for their Oscar pools. And really, it's those crews that make all of those films happen. And we get to see that in this film. We get to see, like, a, almost a documentary built into the film um, to show how they made this one film. And, and I love that. I, I love that... Um, not only is it a kind of a testament to that independent spirit that's necessary to make films work at that and to make any film come together. Um, but it's also, uh, I think the other thing I wanted to say was that it, it's a testament that filmmaking is about the director using the camera to show you what they want to show you. And generally there's so much else happening outside of that frame that you don't know is happening. And this film does that trick on like four different levels by the end. In fact, when the credits are rolling at the end, you get this this like documentarian fourth camera view of that opening scene again. And it's it's such a, an amazing thing that you don't see any of those cameras in the other shots when you first see them come in. And how they crowd it all in there and it all works is, is just, I don't know how to describe it to anybody who doesn't like film, but it, it's, a, it's a perfect film. It really is. Any any kind of live production, whether it's uh, theater or you know what they were doing here, live feed, live television show, radio. When you're doing it live, you know that there's always that opportunity for things to go wrong. 
that's that are completely beyond your control. You plan, you plan for the worst. You hope for the best, and this is kind of a tribute to that. I think that anybody who's ever been in theater would appreciate this movie too, because something always goes wrong. Um, somebody misses their cue. Um, the prop that you needed isn't set, um, and you have to improvise. And this captures that very, very well. It's, it's amazing. And the fact that what I found really, really funny about it is, you know, they have all these things just going wrong. And every once in a while, the second half of the film will go back to the studio where the executives are watching this live. And I will never forget it because I remember being in an acting class in college and trying to get through a monologue and messing up and then, you know, maybe stomping my foot or something like that. Like you do that, you know, I got it wrong. And the professor looked at me and, and said, you can't do that every time you make a mistake because your body is now going to remember that, right? Just let it go. If you make a mistake in your life, you just carry on. No nobody, one's going to know. Nobody knows except Unless you. they've yeah. got the script in front of them or they got it memorized, no one is going to know. And in this particular film, things are going wrong and it cuts back to the studio and like there's a scene where they're on their phones and they're just not catching it. Somebody's going... That 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 seems to be going on for far too long. Is you know, and, yeah. And the, the, <laughs> the executives like, oh, this is good. It's just on her phone, you know. Or they're like, this is great. That's that's a good point that you made, Joe, about the the testament of the crew there that I'd never really thought about. We've given credit to the actors for doing what they needed to do. Th- just think about the mom. She ends up on top of the roof, she where she probably wasn't supposed to be, and right. they they were up <laughs> on the roof with that little, you know. Um, Headpiece that looked like the axe implanted in her forehead. Who mm-hmm. had the who had the wherewithal to grab all that stuff and run up there? Right, right. They had, that, to, so, they had to choke her yeah. out to pass out or something. Like I, that. I think I think the people that actually make the movies are a little underappreciated. I mean, I I understand that you know Brad Pitt did a great job delivering his lines, but you know Brad Pitt doesn't even get to say those lines if you don't have people that are building the sets and the stuntmen and and all those. All, all those types of people. I, I agree with you there. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a, a one of my favorite poets. Her name is Nikki Giovanni, and she does this uh, kind of braggadocia poem where she's bragging about how great she is. And one of the lines she quips in one of in that poem is, "I'm so hip, even my errors are correct." And <laughs> this this film, One Cut of the Dead, fits that perfectly because even when they're making mistakes they're still correct because contextually speaking you expect mistakes to be there and and that that's how perfect this film is it's so hip that even its errors are correct and i i i can't i can't imagine why anybody wouldn't love this film um other than you tell them they're going to love it and they have to hate it because you told them to love it you know and like like it has to be a contrarian point of view or somebody who is you know, busy with something else in their life, I guess, and can't love it for what it is. <laughs> yeah. They, unfortunately, those people do exist. It's not, they're not, and they're not fun to be around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think if you watch this thing the whole way through and you don't come out feeling just, I, I was just like pumped for days afterwards because I'm like, what? That was just a great movie. It just, I, it just, and it's been rare. It's been a rare thing to to walk away from a movie feeling that good about it. I've walked away from movies and thought about them and, you know, felt deeply about them, but 
It's been a while since you, I walked away from a movie that you was... You said you were super pumped when you got done watching Hereditary. No, no. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Or freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of A, a little bit of B. <laughs> Can't sleep. All right, so we typically discuss the box office uh, of the box office of the movies that we do, and this doesn't really have a true domestic box office, and that's the one that I usually talk about. But uh, this this movie was a twenty five thousand dollar budget, and uh, it made fifty two thousand dollars in the United States. But it was not released until two thousand nineteen, September thirteenth, two thousand nineteen, in the United States. But it made in Japan it made twenty six point four nine five million dollars, and it was the sixth largest movie in Japan for two thousand eighteen. Now, where I read that, it doesn't state if it's movie. Um, domestic and international in Japan or domestic released. So I don't know where that falls. I know that they get a lot of the American movies, but if it was the sixth largest movie in Japan for overall, that's that's pretty badass. That's that's some that's taking some box office muscle. Overall it's made twenty seven and a half million dollars. So they really, really, really got their money back out of this. And I bet it just continues to make money uh from rentals and Blu rays and, and as people become more um, aware of its existence. Now, you said this was produced as a part of an acting workshop. Yes, as a, fa- a matter of fact, it was. The original people that were the people that were in this originally paid to be in the movie because it was the final product of an acting and directing workshop that was called the ENBU Seminar. So this was put together by a group of people that weren't even movie executives. Which is, I mean, wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I I love the the idea that um, there because the technology is is getting so much better and so much lower cost that there's all these uh, all, all these folks just going out to do it to just make it happen. Um, one of the segments we've started at One Movie Punch is called Indie Wednesdays. And we're starting to go through uh, a lot of the independent pictures that are being produced, but but nobody's you know kind of checking them out. Um, so uh, one of those that we did recently was for uh, a film director whose name was Johnny Daggers. It still is Johnny Daggers, actually. Uh, and he did a film called Noctambulist, which is a silent film in the silent film ways, but it was also kind of like a German expressionist film. And I, I don't know how else to explain it, but to say, if you like silent films, go give it a shot. And that's never going to end up, uh, that kind of film is never going to end up uh, being talked about unless people talk about it, you know? And and so we're trying to dig up a lot of these films like One Cut of the Dead, um, like uh, Johnny Dagger's films, like uh, other films that are low budget affairs, um, and are worth seeing or not worth seeing. And why is that? Because um, for me, I always judge films on a scale based on how much money they're going to dump into them. Um, if you can dump in like with one cut of the debt, if you can dump in 25,000 and come out with 25 million on the other side, that's phenomenal. And the fact that you can make a film of this quality for 25K plus a lot of uh, sweat equity from everybody else that was involved, um, that, that's a phenomenal film to be made. Um, when you see however many uh, tens of millions they threw away on Dark Phoenix last year, um, when clearly nobody wanted to be there, it's the end of the franchise, like folks had walked away at the highest levels for the X-Men franchise. 
that film would score lower to me because they dumped all that money into it and just came out blue, you know, as opposed to getting something out of that. I would rather have seen $25,000 grants being given to groups like that are doing one cut of the dead just to see what might happen. You know, that would be awesome to me. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really funny because we just did an episode on what we do in the shadows and Taika Waititi was actually, uh, hired as a screenwriter on Moana for Disney. And he got through the first pass and they probably redlined. I don't think there was very much of that script that remained once they got into rewrites, but he quickly was found he was getting bored. Um, So what he did is he actually went back to New Zealand with, and, you know, repartnered with Jermaine Clemens on something that they had done as like a short film to do what we do in the shadows. And it's so much more creative, I think, than, you know, not that Moana wasn't great because, you know, we watched it with our granddaughter probably about eight times in a row, but um, that was more her choice than ours. Uh, But we, I I just think it's amazing that people can kind of make these creative choices and, and, and are very bold. And when they get success, it's really encouraging to see. I mean, because they were, actually reflected in in what uh in the surroundings too because the, the New Zealand and Wellington the the capital of New Zealand where they had filmed it and and basically set the film just completely embraced them and embraced the film and used it in tourist promotions and local advertising and all this stuff and that just got a life of its own it became a tv show in new zealand it's now a tv you know uh wellington paranormal was big in new zealand and now what we do in the shadows on fx is is getting breathing new life into this and i just it's it's so much better i think when you let people be creative than than try to create something you think people are gonna want to see Mm-hmm. It sure seems the more money that that gets poured into a film, um, the the more tamp not tampering but tamping down that happens by the people who are putting that money up. Um, in recent memory, uh, actually just last year, um, Quentin Tarantino got a, a sweetheart deal for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, after the Weinstein Company is imploding and. He definitely got out of all of those contracts. He basically got to do a bidding war with all the other studios and he got like final cut privileges, which normally people don't get when that kind of money gets put into a film. And, you know, just all these, like they got to have their hands in the pie, like the producer of one cut of the dead, you know, they're like, like you have complete control unless I say so. And and that's not really control. That's uh, that's, you have all the blame unless I say so. Exactly. Yeah. That's so, what's, like, Go ahead. I'm sorry, Joe. Oh, so um, I, I was just saying that, you know, I, I, I like when folks like Taika Waititi um, decides to, you know, just keep doing what he's doing. His filmography is one of the best out there. Um, Boy, Hunt for the Wilder People, uh, Thor Ragnarok, obviously, but, um, you know, just the his filmography as a whole and his uh, television shows, obviously, What We Do in the Shadows, they're, they're all very good, with the exception of Eagle versus Shark. And Oh really? Um, I will I will never forgive him for that. Um but, Okay, well, that was on our list. We might cross that off. Oh, well, I mean, it was on her list. Watch it, but <laughs> you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> um 
but uh, uh, you know, so like Taika Waititi is one of the uh, more brilliant writers right now out there. I mean, Jojo Rabbit was fabulous, and you couldn't sell Jojo Rabbit to to most people, to most major film studios, to be honest. You know, like we want to make a film about Hitler Youth. How do you feel about that? <laughs> no, right? It, no, it's I a agree. film about a boy and his imaginary friend Hitler. Yeah, yeah it's not. Green light. Um, you know, to, to... are we talking Adolf? <laughs> <laughs> no, Carl. Carl Hitler. He lives. He lives down on Elm Street in the two-story White House with the picket fence. Um, to touch on what you said there about uh, not having the full uh, final cut, that is something that Sam Raimi has been very adamant about. People wanting to know about Spider-Man Three. He had a script for Spider-Man Three, and he took it to him. They're like, "Yeah, that that's good. That's good. We like that." And as they're as they're doing it, they're like, "You know, what you should do. You should bring in another bad guy." And he's like, "No, we don't need another bad guy. No, no. You, okay, let me let me rephrase this for you, Sam. You're going to bring in another bad guy." He said they put their hands all in it, and that's why it was such a tire fire. And it really was. It was it was horrible. Uh, and Spider-Man's one of my favorite comic book heroes. So when I saw it and I wept openly, wept. No, I mean, it was just, it was bad. We should let these guys, if they know what they're doing, we should give them that opportunity. And Dark Phoenix made $252 million worldwide, and that's why they consistently put that type of money into those piles of garbage, because they still make money. As bad as it was, it's it's so bad, I'm not going to see it. I, I have I've talked to people that's like, it's not worth your time. I don't understand how those movies continue to make money, but they do. And it sucks because it does pull that money away from the people that will make something like One Cut of the Dead. I agree with you. They should be giving that money away. But we know that the man sitting at the top of the ivory tower, is gonna, he's going to continue to put his $100 million into Dark Phoenix so that he can make his $252 million as opposed to, well, really, that movie only made $25 million. That's not enough. Of my, that's, that's not worth my time. <laughs> Yeah, that was the benefit of, uh, I don't know if you guys remember it, but there was a show called Project Greenlight that was, uh, I think it was Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were the producers on it. But they basically, mm -hmm. every episode they gave some film student or film producer like 100K. And they'd walk through the process of getting the script right and, you know, submitting that. And like, I wish there were more efforts like that, especially with Netflix pulling in the billion dollars a month. Like, can't you just slide? a million to one side and, you know, give $25,000 grants to a bunch of people. And then you get to reap all the Oscar rewards when the next great auteur is found. I mean, like, I, I feel like there's a, there's, I'd rather see films by people making it with more constraints now than people given unlimited access and everything, because they end up churning out something that's safe and it's not creative and it's not, and, and it's a crapshoot whether it's entertaining or not, to be honest, um, you know, or that you'll be consistently entertained for sure is a crapshoot because you'll get good parts, but not a good film generally. Agreed. I think that w with more specialization in video on demand, um, it's kind of a double edged sword, right? Because now you've got these specialized channels like Shutter. And it's great. But at the same time, now you've now you've got like. 15 subscriptions to several different streaming services. But I think Shudder is, is an exception uh, because it does not only promote those films that are maybe, you know, something you wouldn't normally view in the States um, and bringing those movies in like one cut of the dead and the more independent films, but it's also reviving, 
you know, other films that are considered classics in the genre. So, you know, you can watch a Dario Argento film on Shudder and you're probably not going to get it on Amazon Prime. And, you know, and, no. until Shudder says, okay, you can have it. But um, a lot of people ha are, have been looking for those films and just haven't been able to find it. So it's, I, I think that there's, there's a room for it now, um, but we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, only on Shudder can you go down a whirlpool of Giallo films. That's yeah. that does that. Um, speaking also of, of Shudder, um, they're, they're also starting to do television programming. And I'll say their creep show version is not very good. It reminds me a lot of the worst of the tales of the dark side back in the 90s. <laughs> but um, I, I will say, though, that uh, their new show, uh, The Deadlands, which is based and heavily uh, uh, mired in Maori culture from New Zealand um, is starting to really turn heads uh, from folks because it's like a, a, an Aboriginal slash zombie uh, kind of film or show. Interesting. And yeah, I mean, like it's not, I think people, um, you know, going back to zombie films for just a little bit, um, I think people are getting, uh, a lot more into zombie films, not because of the zombies, but because they offer a backdrop on which to tell interesting and fun stories. Um, so, you know, for every one, for every George Romero night of the living dead uh, thing, you've got something like uh, one cut of the dead that's using zombies in a different kind of way uh, for every uh, walking dead television series you have, there's usually like a Z nation where it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a different genre being used using zombies to tell a story yeah there's there is there's been some interesting twist on it I, I have not seen the girl with all the gifts yet but i hear that's got a completely different take on the zombie as well so it's 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 interesting yeah. it really really is so one thing that we do normally on the show and i'm not quite sure if it's going to apply in this case is we do do a little segment called i have questions and the i have questions section is where we like to kind of plop our discussion about something that perhaps, you know, broke your suspension of dis disbelief while you were watching the movie. And you said, well, wait, you know, um, a character makes a choice and you're like, why did he do that? Or, you know, um, we were, we just saw birds of prey on Friday and, you know, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but there's a, there's a section um, where Harley takes a, lighter and this guy's beard just goes up and it's like well what caused that to accelerate so those are the types <laughs> of things that um we usually discuss in the segment but because this movie is just so a well set up and b insanely crazy um i don't know if we have anything for that other than the fact that we'd like to know exactly what was supposed to happen in the script I yeah have... and Yo, go ahead. i'm sorry joe you go I was just going to say, like, the only time my suspension of disbelief was broken was in that first section when they're doing the one cut uh, movie. And every question I had during that first part of the film got answered by the end. And yes. so, like, for me, that that's a, that's an even another perfect part of this film is that even th there's not even anything after seeing it five times now, um, you know, in the second or third parts of that film that, that I have questions about, um, you know, I, I kind of laughed at the, 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 the lead couple, even though it's critical to the story, like, you know, they make a big deal about them showing up for the, the reading in the second part. And then 
like then they're just gone for the last third of the film and i'm okay with that you know because <laughs> i want to see the director go nuts <laughs> right i have one question and my question is when they are actually doing it live and they have the back in tokyo i guess wherever it would be where the headquarters with the the people that are the company that are watching it, they all have on T-shirts, and the T-shirts all say "One Cut of the Dead," but they all say it in English. I, I wasn't aware that they wore English shirts in Japan. Yeah. So uh, our daughter Eileen, she's currently learning Japanese at the uh, Oxnard Buddhist Temple. Um, here, they have a whole uh, multi-year program for it. She's on her second year, and. Uh, the reason for that a is because of post-world war two um, nearly everybody started to learn English um, because of the occupation um, after world war two. And to this day, they still, most students learn English as in addition to, uh, you know, more formalized Japanese. Um, the other part of it too, is that I, I, they may converse primarily in Japanese and they all know English, but, um, when they're looking to export anything, their first market that they go to is the English speaking market. So when you see the scripts being printed in English on the cover and the shirts having it there, that's the branding that they'll probably use to take it out for distribution afterwards um, for, for whatever reason. So um, it, it, it seems a little out of place, um, but for from their media industry and for culturally how they all learn English as they go through it. Um, and that a lot of the English, there's a lot of English words that were converted into Japanese. Um, my favorite one is, uh, uh, it's not a Kit Kat, it's a Kito Kato uh, in Japan because they just took the English uh, word and they converted it to uh, whatever it would be with the Japanese character set. So, um, there's a lot of English that's actually used as a part of Japanese language now because a lot of the vocabulary came with the occupation and with the, uh, you know, just words like software and, you know, just things that didn't have any basis otherwise. So there's this weird blending in, in Japan now of English and Japanese, um, not just in the language itself after the last 50, 60 years, um, but because of uh, the the next market outside of Japan is generally the English speaking market for them. Wow, nice. So I no longer have questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank it's, you. One movie spawn for enlightening this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that though. When you say that about you know Kitokato, um, when you look up one cut of the dead, you say what you often see one cut of the dead, and then in parentheses, camera otumaro na. Um, and so it means don't stop the camera. So they're spelling camera K A M E R A. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, well, I, that's the proper spelling, yeah. right? With a Kit Kat, well, yes. Well, yeah, it, it's uh, because they don't have a, a they're, all of their hard K sounds in Japan are Ks. They, they use the K character in the, in the, what they call that Romanji when they use the English alphabet to, to spell out Japanese, they use the K. So I got gotcha. you. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay. So, um, before we wrap up, um, one of the things we also do, um, each show is we talk about what we think are the top three moments from the film. So since you guys are the guests, um, you are welcome to go first if you'd like. Yeah, I've been talking a lot. I'm going to let one movie spouse go. That's all right. Um, so I kind of already mentioned them, but, um, I really loved 
um, so it's not just a moment, but I really loved um, the evolution of the mother's character. Um, so it's, you know, in the beginning, she looks kind of aloof, maybe not so sure. But actually, then we discover that she's probably really wanting to do it, but needs to pull herself back because she goes totally into character with her home. I just love that. <laughs> and, um, you know, it helps us all channel our inner badass, I think. Um, <laughs> and then also, um, I, I found it uh, deeply touching the connection that the um, that the director has with his daughter. And um, I don't know, I, I also, I didn't get as emotional as Joe, obviously, because I'm not the lead producer at One Movie Punch, but there are certainly some parallels between our own family and this movie a bit. We're not making a, we're not making our own zombie movie here in California in our tiny little condo or anything like that, but just, you know, being able to watch, uh, just a virtual world in our secret volcano layer. I mean, let's be serious. Absolutely, sir. We don't know many people who have secret volcano layers, so we feel pretty lucky to know you. Neither do we. <laughs> uh, my top three, um, right after uh, Yamagoe uh, leaves to go find the bushes, um, th- the four people who are left in the frame uh, all look out the door and we don't realize it at the first time. And they kind of hold the position there and they actually even use that sound effect that kind of sounds like it's stopping something. It's like, shoom, like they use that sound effect throughout the whole thing and they just stop there. It's a perfectly framed shot. All of their faces are easily visible in the usual quadrants you want to look at it in the film. Like, I'm glad they got it right on the sixth take and they got it to be so perfect because that's when I saw that happen, even the first time through, I'm like, okay, even if this just turns out to be mediocre, that shot right there is is impressive. And it's even more impressive the next time you see it because you know exactly why they're looking there. Nice. Um, The second top moment is when, uh, the because the the father wants to set a better example for his daughter and decides to compromise and walks out to go you know tell people that they're going to comp- compromise and then the daughter jumps in and says you know no we can make this happen and we're going to make it happen and starts basically like slapping the people and screaming <laughs> at the producer and like you know kind of gets that she actually adopts the same thing that she just saw her father do on the screen when they started and get screaming at the actress Mm -hmm, uh, you know mm -hmm. to get her into character because you know she's only kind of putting in half the effort um so like once that takes over and that really is the start of the the that's the that's where they set it up for the punchline at the end with the the father and the daughter having recreating a moment that was barely mentioned before and becomes the touchstone and then my favorite part of the film, I think, is the human pyramid at the end. And it's not just like I've been saying a lot. It's all the teamwork, everything coming together. But in the first part, the way they hide the fact that they're using a human pyramid to get that shot. Um, if there wasn't one of the questions I had where my belief was suspended, where I lost my suspension of belief, I'm like, why is the camera floating in the air now? I don't understand why this is happening. And that was like my last question I wanted answered. So when they just, when the daughter says, oh, how many people do we got? How high will that get us? And like kind of doing the calculations. 
um, that whole uh, that whole sequence, and they have to stop, and you see the pyramid coming up, and I'm like, oh my god, oh they're they're putting it all the oh no, this is great, this is great, and like they have to stop it because people are falling off the pyramid. I'm like, oh no, no all of this makes sense too. And then when they dip the camera as they're walking by in the one cut, so you don't see the pyramid at all. Again, a testament to the director showing you what you're gonna see. And not what's actually happening all around you when any film is happening. So, like, then when they're all in the pyramid, a lot of them still have the zombie makeup on. And so they all kind of look up with the zombie <laughs> contact eyes and they're, they're so staring funny. at the lady, the final girl. And it's just, you know, they're all there and then they finally get it and then they have to hold it. And that was like another question like, why is this going on forever at the end? What, what, why am I watching 40 seconds or like 30 seconds of this? credits going on and you realize it's like all of them trying to hold it together and you're just you know they're gonna make it because you saw the first part right. but that whole part i'm going you guys gotta do it you gotta do it guys come on hang in there yes we all did it all of us the viewers the audience <laughs> oh that's awesome that's fantastic I, wish I had a video clip of joe in the chair right now it's quite <laughs> You can hear it in his voice, but this this would be a great gift to put with <laughs> the. Uh, but I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. That's that's incredible. What about you three? Uh, well, I actually I think I have one that that kind of ties. But all of my favorites really have to do with the juxtaposition of of what you see in the first thirty seven minutes, those moments, and then the realization because they're all the difference between them. Um, contextually is just amazing so the the first one and we just are we already talked about this is you know you see that first zombie throwing up on two of its victims and i didn't even question it greg greg kind of did because he's you know like why, why is a zombie throwing up but but it, it was consistent twice in there so you're like okay it's fine and then the realization that it was really him throwing up on his cast members is just it's it's very very entertaining and i think that one kind of ties with uh, as joe alluded to before there's a the part where the zombified boyfriend is coming toward the ingenue and she is trying to cure him with her love or whatever and trying to 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 say his name and he would stop and she'd reach out to touch him and he'd start moving again. And it happened like three times. And I remember Greg and I were like, what the hell is, <laughs> what is going on? And when you see in the reveal, it's because people keep falling off the pyramid and they're trying to time it just right. The director keeps putting, you know, puts his arm out to stop the guy from going toward her. And that's why those stops were happening. It's just, it's amazing reveal that you're like, oh, I get it. I get it. Um, the other thing I like is when um, you see uh, the wife in that moment of almost mania, you know, should I, should I do this? Should I act? Should I act again? Should I act again? Mm -hmm. And she's finally like, yes. And you don't know what you're in for. And when she starts to snap toward going into that full method, you see the husband kind of look at her while they're trying to 
get their bearings back on the camera and the camera is going to come back. And she, he looks at her and he says, you need to calm down. <laughs> yeah. She said, I am calm. Does she say I'm deadly calm or I'm calmer than I've ever been in my life? I can't remember. I am deadly calm. I am deadly, deadly calm. Yeah. So when she, she snaps and goes into that full method that she's going to grab the ax and go chase the girl. Cause it looks like the girl has a zombie bite on her leg. Um, she says it again and it's, it's just, it's a great line. It is. <laughs> and the, and the fact that that's, you know, that's it. Now she's over the edge and now we know we're going to go on a little bit more of a roller coaster ride with this. It's, it's, that's one of my favorites as well. And finally, um, the thing that I love the most is when you're looking at her in the context, cause she, when she goes crazy, she goes crazy and she starts like she's running after the girl. You see other zombies come up to her, presumably to attack her a zombie attack. Um, and she's kicking and she's punching and she's doing everything. And then you see the director run up to her and she just takes a flying leap and she gets him. You, you, I thought she was a chest. You're telling me it's right. In the I, nudes. I think she, she kicked a 62-yard field goal and used his testicles <laughs> as the ball. Is what I think. It was so, definitely right in the coin purse. So yes. when you're watching it the first time, you're like, okay, presumably, you know, he's the bad guy. So look at her. Good for her. She gets him. She knocks him down. She takes him out. <laughs> the second time around, you're like, holy crap, she is going to attack her husband. And he... <laughs> It's just, he's, you're like, you feel bad now for the guy that you were like cheering her for like kicking before because it's just that insane. So those were my three. I got to do something I've never done before. And I got to rewind a second because I just realized I have one more question and Joe can answer it. What's that? When she goes into the, she's been chased by the zombies and the girl goes into the shed and it's right at the part where um, the you know the zombie the pantsless zombie walks up to tell her to pick up the axe on the outside. Mm-hmm. She reaches down where she thought she had been bit, mm-hmm. and it peels off. Do they ever explain that? Um, I think it, I think that was it was supposed to be like makeup that was put on um, as part of the film so that they wouldn't that she could peel it off. It was just supposed to be there for when things happened. Um, but I think that was the whole thing. Like she actually didn't have a bite. It was makeup from doing the production as if it was the film that was being filmed in the, I don't even know how to say it, but the, the, uh, something, something that they, maybe it was something that they put on there that was part of the original story. And I think so. Like, like it was supposed to be a, it was supposed to be part of the original story that was being filmed. And, you know, we don't know that the mother goes crazy until we see it the second time through at the end. So that part was probably on there. And she was probably just scared into realizing that, you know, what is this? Did I actually get bit? What's going on? And, gotcha. and so, like, it's, you, you're never really sure, like, who's, who are you looking at? Are you looking at the character in that film? Or are you looking at the actress playing the character? film or which story are you looking at when you look at the video that's why i love this film so much gotcha (laughs) maybe maybe she realizes that she's not going to be bit anymore and she needs to get rid of it so that it's not caught i I, that maybe i I just i think that they she didn't maybe remember that she had that makeup on so when they were all checking with each other after that that first run through where she's running and 
being attacked when she comes back. And that's, I don't know if intentionally in the script that that whole thing with her, with the mother chasing her was supposed to happen because they said she's gone off script. So that's when mother goes full method and then she looks and she peels it off. But I think as part of like, if that was just in and of itself, that B movie, that just tells you right there that her death, the mother's death, the makeup artist's death, um, was just a waste, right? She didn't have to, to die. That that whole thing didn't have to happen in the context of said B movie. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. My favorite three moments. Um, in the original, when you watch the first 37 seconds, the very first scene where he flips out on the girl and the boy, you see him hit the kid. Like, like physically slap him. And you're like, okay, the guy's just lost his shit. But in the in the reveal, he walks away and the camera comes over the rock star kid and he's he goes, He he hit me. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He, 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 obviously not in the script because the guy's the, the kid's about to get pissed off and walk off this thing. He 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 hit me. <laughs> so I mean, dude was taking it serious. Uh the second my second favorite part was when the, the she wipes the camera. And I don't know why mm-hmm. it hits me so much, but it's just like that is something that you would never ever see happen in a movie, and yet it was like you just wipe the camera. Okay, all right, well, uh, pretty cool. What's funny is when they redid it in part one. If you watch that movie again, when um, Beverly hits it with the slingshot, you see blowback on the camera. Oh. You don't but see the hand. But they didn't wipe they didn't wipe it off. They didn't wipe yeah. it off. No. All right. My favorite part my favorite part of this movie bar none is when he chokes his wife out on the on the rooftop. <laughs> yeah, that is insane. I laugh my ass off. Susan says, "I think he injected her with something." I said, "No, he straight up Rick Flair choked her ass out <laughs> in the middle of the ring, <laughs> threw her down on the ground and then just left her there." <laughs> Uh, I, 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 I just that was my laugh out loud moment of that movie. That was when I came up out of my chair. So those are those were my three. <laughs> All right. Well, um, this has been an uh, just an awesome conversation, guys. You, this has been a lot, a lot of fun. So much fun. We did it twice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I guess the question now that we're um, you know before we. Um, you know, pimp all our social media and all that. Um, the question is, would we watch this again? And I think we know the answer with Joe, but uh, I, I might watch it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I think I'm going to bed now. Just kidding. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. I would totally watch it again. I've seen it twice now. And um, each time I like it that much more as well. I think for me, um, being a teacher, I have limited time in the evening and the weekend. So for me, I like to watch something I haven't seen yet rather than return to my old favorites. However, if both Joe and One Movie Spawn are super excited about watching a movie, I can jump on board with that because it's very rare that the three of us can agree on something to watch together. <laughs> I do I do a lot of work in my office for, for work. Uh, you know, whatever is associated. And I always have the TV on just for background mm-hmm. noise. Uh, this is definitely something that I would throw on for background noise in a heartbeat. This is also something that I would get together with friends and go, you got to watch this. 
You, you, oh yeah. You, you need to see. I, oh, and, I've and, already got two people in mind. So. In fact, in fact, um, I uh, as soon as we were done talking the other night, I put the Blu-ray in the cart on Amazon. When I have some spare change, I'll be buying it because I'm that guy. <laughs> that, I'm that guy that I like to have the media in my hand. I, I know the streaming and everything, but what happens is, you know, uh, when I want to watch it, that's the day the internet's out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, okay. uh, be careful on the DVDs uh, because some of them don't work in our region. Right. We got. Uh, I got to make sure I get the North American region. Yeah. Just yes. for as, as for for your sake and for the sake of all the listeners out there who do uh, like physical yes. media, two of the three that are available are Region Two, not Region One. So. Um, be careful, buyer beware. Caveat emptor. <laughs> understood. I understood one of those words Joe just said. <laughs> Your region. <laughs> oh, yep, yep. Those are the ones I knew. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, tell everybody um, where they can find you. I know you've already uh, mentioned where they could find uh, the podcast, but just just to reiterate, where can they find you on social media, and where can they find One Movie Punch? All right. Our website, which is uh, currently in transition, so pardon the dust, is onemoviepunch.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at onemoviepunch. And you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash onemoviepunch, where we have uh, weekly exclusive episodes there, including uh, full interviews with some of the writers and directors of the films we've uh, covered. Um, You can uh, check out our kind of fun series and updates that we do there, um, including One Movie Punch Presents Zero Percent. And then uh, you can always find us uh, at um, onemoviepunch.libsyn.com. That's actually where our our, our uh, podcast is hosted, or you can find it in virtually all the directories that are out there. Um, and we hope to uh, uh, see everyone there and we hope to have you back when we do reign of terror 2020 Woo-hoo. yeah, yeah looking ahead, forward to that just that's, go ahead and pencil us in because we we want to do it that's a ride right yeah. there okay and, and we hope to do this with you guys again i know that your schedules yeah. are busy and our schedules are busy but this was has been very very fun yeah and, uh, really enjoyed it neat neat to get somebody's opinion on movies that knows more about movies than we do <laughs> Sounds like fun to me. All right. All right. Thank you very much for being a part of the show at, twice. And um, <laughs> uh, again, we really appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Our pleasure. Good night. Good night. Okay. Uh, so, Greg, where can our listeners find you? Uh, right here at this table, probably watching a movie. Oh, you turned the thing off, huh? Oh, no, I didn't turn it off. Oh, okay. We're still rolling. We're still rolling. Okay. I'm a fucking professional, baby. Unicorn, 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 yep. unicorn. Don't unicorn. stop it. <laughs> God. Not again in this house, ever. <laughs> fucking Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> we um, have to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, I'm a G Um, You can also find me at, uh, I do stuff with the other podcast, Top 5 at for Fighting. Top 5 for Fighting. Yep. Um, but I, I, I'm not. Uh, I don't do a lot of social media posting just because I don't have the time. I try, but just I'm just hopefully I get there. But that's where I'm at. Okay, and you guys can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Honey Watch This, and we are also on Facebook at Honey You Should Watch This. Uh, I am T five FF underscore Angel on Twitter, and on Instagram I am Marketing underscore Angel. And you can also find us on our Podbean site, which is honeyyoushouldwatchthis.podbean.com. 
Uh, make sure you tell your friends about us. Rate and review if you can. We really appreciate it. And next episode, you guys are in for a real treat because we do have another guest, our friend, always entertaining friend, Sarah, who um, has introduced us to the film The Velocipaster, Man of the Claw. So make sure you stay tuned for that one. Ugh. <laughs> You'll enjoy it. Uh, it it's it's uh, uh, spoiler. We've already recorded it. Yes. Uh, we uh, as we mentioned, we had audio issues with Joe and Amy. We recorded this the first time on Saturday night and lost it. So we had recorded yesterday with Sarah, and this was supposed to be this week's episode, which will be coming out obviously instantly. And then next week's Velocipaster, you will enjoy it. It's a, it's yeah. a good time. This will this will be a fun a fun episode. I we hope you enjoyed this episode yeah. today. This too. was a fun episode. Oh, definitely. This was a fun episode. This, yeah, these last two episodes have just been a blast. All right. Okay. Everybody enjoy yourself. Have a nice week. Oh, excuse me. Have a nice week. I get the hiccups for some reason. And, and that's it. Bye. Bye. Bye.